0: Hello, and welcome to Ding and Dent, a gaming podcast full of all the youthful exuberance of two gaming dads past their prime. Coming to you from Chicago and St. Louis, here are your two hosts, Rafael Cordero and Charlie Thiel. Hello everyone, welcome back to Ding and Dent, episode 117, uh, new format, we're back. We already missed a week. <laughs> we were uh, on like a three episode streak and then we uh, delayed a week, so sorry about that. Um, yeah, man, Charlie and I, we were just talking about uh, how, uh, just how like the week just evaporated the way the way life is right now. Um, but yeah. we are back, we, uh, we, we've we we got some games to talk about. Uh, I am Raph Cordero, this is Charlie Thiel. How are you, Charlie?
1: Good. Uh, you know, the trick is not to. You don't want to say out loud that we missed a week. Maybe people won't realize if we just kind of pretend <laughs> like we were on schedule. Um, yeah,
0: maybe the holiday screwed them up too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, uh, I, I'm a little bummed actually because uh, Geekway tickets just went on sale, which is yeah. the convention Raph and I go to, and and neither one of us are going for for different reasons. Um, I'm not going because uh, it's like in the middle of the week, which you know. It's, I don't want to complain about because the, the organizers basically had to have it this year to meet a a contract commitment. And that was like the only time they could reschedule it because the convention center is like booked for other dates and stuff. Um, So it was more of like forced into it. Yeah. I got stuck on it. Um, So I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed that that I'm not going to go. That's only part of it. I could, I could go if I really wanted to. That's just another reason not to go. Um, Right. That and COVID and just, you know, the money and I'm not going to Gen Con either this year, which is kind of, disappointed so that's two years for me where I haven't gone to a convention after going to multiple conventions every year for the past I don't know six seven
0: I know it feels strange uh, I'm, I'm not going um COVID still got me a little bit wary about conventions but even if that was fine you know we're, we're about to have a baby so mm-hmm. um to take three days off in the middle of the week like you said again it's just really <laughs> yeah. it's just tough um but I am I'm with you I'm I'm bummed especially geekway gen con after my last gen con I was like okay I could I like Gen Con. I will probably continue to go to Gen Con, but if I had to give up a con, it would be Gen Con. I just love the hangouts and the environment that we get at, at Geekway is so mm-hmm. different and so like I am I am bummed to miss it. Yeah. Um so Uh, Yeah, real quick, before we jump into the episode, we are uh, Ding and Dent. We are sponsored by Miniature Market. Thank you so much, Miniature Market. Uh, Miniaturemarket.com. If you've never visited, you definitely should. They are one of the big names in online board game retailers for a very good reason. Uh, I am staring at a Miniature Market box right now (laughs) full of sleeves and magic card stuff. That's what I would have guessed Uh, if I was
1: was putting money on it
0: yeah uh not just board games magic minis um rpgs i did get an age of sigmar book in there as well uh but um they're they're great um they're they're charlie's local store as well they're not just an online retailer so they are a local store that provides game space so big thanks to them uh big thanks to the inside voices media network uh that we are still a part of um and and some more outlets for y'all to check out at InsideVoicesNetwork.com. um yeah, so so with the uh, with the the housekeeping out of the way, we can hop into freestyling a bit. Um, Charlie, what you got?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to talk about a game in my freestyling segment, kind of kind of like a mini version of our main segment, talking about a game. And I'm doing this because I, I would never talk about this game in a full segment because I played it once. And I'm not going to play it again. Uh, I imagine like anything can happen, but
0: at that reviewer integrity yeah, there yeah
1: yeah so i'm not this isn't a review it's an impression um but i did want to talk about it. so dwellings of eldervale was a big game from last year a year where there weren't you know the usual quantity of big games uh a few people asked well a couple of people asked what i thought about this game because um it's a hybrid sort of um euro slash thematic game and that's like my you know right in my wheelhouse my, my favorite yeah, types of games so i think someone asked you know where this would be on my top games of the year list and i hadn't played it at the time and my buddy Aaron, um, who's been on the podcast, I've talked to him a lot, he he got like fixated on this game on his own and then ended up buying a copy, which is great because I didn't you know, get a review copy or anything. Um, and I got to try it finally. He played it a couple times. This was his second play. It was my first. And I played a three-player. And how this game kind of works, I'm going to do this really quick because I don't take a lot of time, but it's it's looks like it's a thematic sort of adventure style game, maybe with some area control. It's definitely competitive. Um but there's like a lot of, of visual theme and setting in the game. There's, there's minis that are like neutral monsters that you fight. Not neutral, they're enemies, but no, one can, no player controls them. Um, and your characters or your people are a mix of meeples that are different shapes. There's like a wizard, a bunch of workers that are the same, a warrior, and a dragon. And then you have like a thematic player board that's got a faction with a little bit of asymmetry. Not a lot, um, but a little bit. And it just looks like this hugely thematic game that would appeal to me. But the thing about this game is that it's really just a worker placement game that's got like all this stuff dressing it up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I thought this game was just okay. Like I would, I would rate it like a five out of 10. I'm probably not exactly the target market for this. There, there you know, there is conflict, there's fighting in the game. But really, what, what I felt like is that the game kind of tricks you. It looks almost like a okay, I don't how can I say this? So Scythe, which we mm-hmm. both like, has this quality as well, where it looks like it's this big alternate history mech fighting game, right? But then it's really like a farming Euro style resource game with a little bit of fighting. Okay. And I like Scythe yeah. more than dwellings, but I'm just using it as a comparison. A lot of people a lot of people criticize Jamie Stegmeyer's um or Stonemeyer games' uh, releases in that they they're kind of misleading, right? Like, um, uh, he also did tapestry, which is he described as like a Civ game, but people say it's not really a Civ game and stuff like that. Okay, I, I don't really care about labels exactly, but that thing is going on here where I felt like this was going to be a certain type of experience and it wasn't. And that was even after I was warned by Aaron, who kind of felt the same way when his first play. <laughs> and I just don't think this is, this is a game that's going to appeal to me because it's really all about the worker placement. Um, the fighting matters, but it's it's just it feels like all the thematic and setting stuff is just shallow like it's not a big part of the strategy of the game it's more of just kind of uh-huh. like we're throwing this in there to give it some theme and some color but the strategy is really how you place your workers how you collect resources and how you spend those resources to move up on all these various tracks of uh, element tracks and you score like combos and multipliers off of those and that's really the game if you focus on that you'll you'll do well um, but like the thematic stuff's just kind of I, I don't want to say thrown on top because it does fit you know in the system of the game. It's just not capturing the theme in a way that I feel appeals to um, mm-hmm. people that that like thematic games like in my taste at least.
0: I, I would say that there's been a trend recently where euro games, like true, solid. Yeah, you a know, worker placement game are moving out of the classic settings mm-hmm. of farming and trading and stuff like that, yeah. which I think is is great in general. Um, new new settings for this type of game will will broaden its appeal. Uh, it makes it a little bit trickier for for you and I and, and people who like the kind of games that we do because we can no longer just use the setting as a visual cue. Um, you know, you could never really just judge a game off the setting, but you could say, like, ah, okay. Given this setting, I can assume it's not an agricola clone right yeah, um, yeah but you can't necessarily anymore and i think i think not uh you know the, the the trend right kickstarter is doing that a little bit um is bringing that sort of richer setting in my opinion and, and some production value to euro style games but it can make it a little tricky for you know like i said someone like us
1: yeah yeah and i think that's that's cool and, and there's an audience for that so that's great um i just yeah i felt also like there wasn't really a hook in this game like, usually it would be something like this would be how, like, the theme synthesizes with the worker placement and does something different. But I don't know. I felt like if I wanted conflict and worker placement, like Sons of Anarchy, the board game is just way better for me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just this one did not fire for me. And then Aaron, Aaron also was, has been disappointed, so he's getting rid of it. So that's why I probably won't play it again unless someone out there convinces me to at a convention, which I would have to be, you know, out of right mind, <laughs> I guess. Yeah.
0: but yeah Yeah, Charlie Thiel known for (laughs) wandering conventions not in his right mind
1: (laughs) so that's uh Dwellings of Elder Vale. the designer is Luke Laurie. he's done a a lot of stuff uh Manhattan Project Energy Empire and and different things oh that's a good one yeah so
0: there you go um all right. Yeah. So my freestyle uh, real quick, a little a little self plug. I, I was asked to write a, a, a short blog post for Roll20. Roll20 is, uh, I think, one of the I think the top right now uh, online tabletop website space for playing RPGs. So it's a virtual tabletop that you can use to put out grids and maps and dungeons and go dungeon crawling. Uh, but even if you're not that kind of RPG player, it's just uh, and you just do theater of their mind. It's still got a place to hang, you know, maps and uh, character sheets are automated and die rolling is automated, and it's a really cool website if you haven't checked it out. Um, I've been using it a lot for all of the RPGs I've been doing over the lockdown. Uh, but they they have a blog and they they asked me to do a guest blog on a game called Honey Heist, which is a very simple one page RPG where you play bears like grizzly bears trying to pull off a heist in the human world to steal honey from a, uh, a honey convention uh, and it's very rules light very narrative um, a lot of fun and that's what my article was about was on kind of the challenge of running a rules light rpg but then why it can be so worth it for getting you to embrace stories so if you go to roll20.net and check that out that would be cool uh, i enjoyed writing that but um the, the big thing I wanted to kind of talk about Freestyle that's been on my mind is uh, Age of Sigmar is about to get its third edition launch. Obviously, anyone who's been a regular listener knows I've become quite the big Games Workshop fan here. Uh, and I have been playing Age of Sigmar. Um, actually, my, my first full army is an Age of Sigmar army. Um, but more importantly, like what I want to talk about for Freestyle, what's been on my mind is this this Path to Glory narrative system so i i am not ever going to be a tournament player for any of these games workshop games i just can't commit that kind of time um so what draws me to them is the narrative and the, the story behind it and i talked about it in an old episode but age of sigmar has a narrative mode called path to glory where you start with you know one main character and maybe two units Depending on the army, it might be a little bit more than two units. Depending on the army, it might literally just be a single unit. It's your warlord general. Um, so you start with this very small force. And the the core story here is that you're, you've are you been separated from your army for whatever reason. Or you've been cast out. Or whatever you want to go with for why you're alone. And you're basically rallying forces to your flag. And after every game, you earn some points. And then you use those points to add another unit. So it's a, it's a way to add um, to kind of slow grow your collection, like a, a very wallet friendly way to build an army over, I mean, you could do this over a year if you really wanted to, or, or longer. Um, cause if you don't want to add a unit, like let's just say you, you just don't want to, um, either because you don't want to spend the money on it or just because it doesn't feel right for your narrative, you can like upgrade an existing unit and make them stronger. Um, and so it, I think it's a really fun way to play just Sigmar and it's called path to glory. Then when, ninth edition of 40k came out and, and again we talked about this there's a new crusade mode where it, it kind of is a again a narrative for us you take your 40k army you build it over time um, but crusade is very focused on improving existing units um, or having the the things that happen in this game kind of impact almost legacy style like for the for the space marines if you have a space marine who dies multiple times, if they die enough times, you can choose to entomb them in a dreadnought and like replace them in your army with this like walking uh, tank that narratively in in the 40K lore, that's what happens to space marines who are so damaged that they can't be healed. They will often entomb them in this like sarcophagus and then lock them in this giant mech robot dreadnought, right? Uh, So you can can do that in Crusade And, and every Crusade faction has their own thing. Like the Sisters of Battle just came out and the Sisters of Battle have this way that you can become a living saint if you have a a particular model or character do enough really awesome things you will be you will become a living saint and gain all these like huge benefits and stuff like that. So so that's Crusade. That's been a, a very fun narrative way to play 40k. Age of Sigmar 3rd edition is coming out and they announced that they are they still have Path to Glory but that they are bringing a lot of the stuff from Crusade into it, so so Crusade felt like an evolution of Path to Glory. I'm really kind of curious to see if this just feels like AOS Crusade, or if it is, you know, kind of a further evolution. Because Age of Sigmar and 40k do learn from each other rule wise. You can kind of see it at, in each edition. Um, so it, I think it would be. I think it's more likely that this is going to be Crusade, but the next. Evolutionary step, not just a direct port over. So I'm kind of really curious to see where they go with it.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the new edition as well. Um, but you know, I'm not I'm not as involved as as Ref with with Warhammer and 40k nowadays, um, <laughs> so I can't make those comparisons. But I, I Path of Path to Glory always was like the most appealing mode to me when you talked about it and, and what I've read about it and, and what I would probably do if I played it. Regularly at a club or whatever, um, just because that's such a it's such a smart way to do it. Not just because mm-hmm. of uh, like, the, so it, it combines the narrative impact with economic sense, I guess. Right. So yeah, yeah, so it's it's just really beneficial on multiple fronts to the player, which is which is great.
0: Yeah, because because these games can be hugely intimidating if you're trying to buy a whole army. Um, you know, even Games Workshop would admit that. But to start with, you know, two boxes and play a couple games, and then using that experience to decide what your next unit's going to be like okay i really like the melee combat my army is really good at that that felt right i'm going to add another melee unit rather than trying to sit down and write a list that maybe doesn't play the way you think it does um or does it it doesn't feel right for your style like it's just a a neat little way to do it so we'll see um we'll we'll see how it goes the new edition is going to be out here and by the end of the month so not long to wait cool all right so freestyling's done let's move into our uh our game of the of the episode charlie what are you talking about today yeah so
1: my big game in this episode is gonna be a game i haven't talked about a lot i haven't written a review yet and i haven't uh talked about on ding and dent but company of heroes the board game um was a huge kickstarter uh was a year and a half ago i i didn't back it i got a review copy of this game um this is based on the video game company of Heroes, which don't know, if you're real-time strategy, a fictional, you would have heard of it. it. It was a pretty big deal. It had a, you know, the first game came out quite a long time ago, and then Company of Heroes two um, was like is like six years old at this point. Like, it could be that old. Wow. So I started playing the video game recently, sort of as like a companion to playing the, the board game. I was not like a big fan of the video game because I hadn't played it. Um, I do like RTS, real-time strategy video games, but I haven't really gotten into one heavily since StarCraft II first came out uh, all those years Yeah, it it is. Or was. Yeah. Um, So it's cool. It's cool. So I like the video game a lot now that I've gotten into it. It's like the main video game I'm playing at the moment, not that I'm a huge video game player. Um, And this board game developed by Bad Crow Games, a a publisher that I I like quite a bit. It's an indie pub, but they've done some some big releases. Um, Their first game was Mech Command RTS, which was like, I think that might've had the Mech Warrior license and then it lost it maybe. I, I don't remember exactly, but that was a big Kickstarter game. The box was enormous. Uh, I reviewed this game a few years ago for Geek and Sundry, but it, it, it box, I think, was bigger than Gloomhaven. It's hard to remember. I don't have it anymore. I traded it away, but it was a huge box. The game was super interesting. It was like a, a Mech Warrior game where you could do 1v1 or 2 versus 2 It's like a skirmish miniature game. And... What it, it was real time, okay, as a board game, so that's that's already abnormal. There's a few real time board games, but no like miniature skirmish real time game, right? Like yeah. Like if I said that to Ref, what do you think it was like? I bet he'd have a hard time even trying to describe what the system how it would work, which is weird for a board game because everything's been done thousands of times already. <laughs> uh, so this was unique, and I I liked this game, but I had a lot of caveats basically you had like so many action points you'd spend in a, in a timed round and we all did it at the same time. Like, so you'd move your mecha space and you'd spend an action point, like a cube to do that. And how you would, sh- so, so that's not too bad, but like the big thing is timing in like a miniature game with real time, how would you do shooting, right? They had like laser bases. So it had like an LED laser that came out and you could shoot as your action. And if your laser can, can hit your opponent, who's probably mid move, like trying to move hex to hex, then you just say a hit and you, like, mark it, and you keep going. So it was kind of hectic. It worked, but it was sloppy, right? Like, you know, it, it didn't really have problems. It just wasn't smooth, okay? And I'm sure you can imagine why. Yeah. But yeah. it was a cool game. It had big 3D buildings, neat miniatures, lots of, like, different types of mechs you could build and upgrades on all these cards. It was, it was cool. So this was their second game. Had much more success on Kickstarter, probably because of the license. And it's it's different, but you can tell it's sort of the same company if you played Mech Command. So first of all, the again, it's a physically like stunning product. Like for a company that's that's only done this is their second game. You know, I'm I'm just surprised the the attention to detail. A lot of companies are are very rough, have lots of issues. Like you know, like in, so, so here's an example. Um, Destinies from Lucky Duck Games and Lucky Duck is not like a, a newer publisher. They use Kickstarter, but they do retail as well. Um, Destinies is like this new app driven uh, adventure game. And, like, the insert, and that's really nice, but there's, like, a couple things I don't like about the insert. You know, it maybe it wasn't tested fully. Also, like, Awakened Realms and Etherfields, the the, bo- the board didn't work right and things like that, right? So there's always, like, little issues and, and things you can tell. And and I've not found any with, um, with Company of Heroes. So I, I don't like to talk about the physicality of games beyond the gameplay like i'm sure with cthulhu wars how that affects gameplay but like storage trays and stuff i don't like to make a big deal with that but this you know it has all that it has things that people pay tons of money in the aftermarket for and the one thing that really matters with with it here is that each faction so there's there's german there it's world war ii if you don't know what company of heroes is it's basically a world war ii rts you know axis versus allies um you have german in this in this board game British, American, and Russian, okay? So if you're playing, if if Ralph was playing as the Russians, I can take the Russian Trout and give it to him, and everything's organized, which is cool. Like, like that's not a completely new concept, but for a game that's 15-millimeter scale, which is Flames of War, so Warhammer, if you're not a miniature player... Is, uh, is 28 millimeter, which is really bigger. It's like heroic, I guess, 32 millimeter now. Yeah, it's, now, it's like a say. 32. Yeah, so 15 millimeter is like less than half the size, right? So it's like little tiny miniatures uh, for like a, like a human. And then there's tanks and stuff. So that's why it's, it's a small scale because there's vehicles. But you have several infantry miniatures on a space. But they go, instead of just like picking them up and moving them, they go in these little movement trays. With like slots and then it's just, it's hard to explain, but it's really cool because you can upgrade units throughout the game from experience and things. And you like put a little die in the slot in the movement tray. And it's just so well thought out in a way that's not um, primarily about visually visual attractiveness. It's, it's about function, which is not normal for this type of thing, right? Usually when it's deluxe and stuff, it's like, you're just throwing in extra stuff because you can not because it actually helps gameplay. So anyway, so I, I thought I'd mention that. Uh, this yeah, that game, makes it worth
0: talking about too. Then, if it really impacts the gameplay, yeah, that's kind of where we start talking about components and stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. So it does feel like the Company of Heroes video game. The units mimic what you'd expect, and and all that stuff. I don't want to go too in depth on that because I'm sure many, almost everyone, probably hasn't played. It that's listening to this, um, but the feel is was why. I'm really a big fan of this game. It feels like a real-time strategy game. It feels like Company of Heroes, but beyond that, it just feels like a real-time strategy game, which more people can identify with. Um, but it does it in such a, I don't say radically, but such a different way than what we've been accustomed to in board games. Not that there's a lot of real-time strategy-inspired board games, but one of Raphim and my favorite board games is StarCraft, the board game, a real-time strategy-based yep. board game. And and um, to a lesser extent, the Ares Project, uh, which probably most of you haven't heard of is a Z-Man title from many years ago. I believe it was Jeff Engelstein's first release. Um, Him and Brian Engelstein worked on it. And that was a real-time inspired... It was inspired by StarCraft, I believe. It just didn't have the license. So it was like, you know, without the license on there. Now, both of those games, they're very different, but both of them really put an emphasis on Fog of War. And Fog of War is what you could say is integral to the real-time strategy experience. and, And by that it means you can't see what your opponent is doing, right? Like in StarCraft and WarCraft, any of those games, you don't know what they're building in their base. You don't know where their units are on the map. You have to you have to do reconnaissance and scouting. It's a big part of strategy and sending a scouting unit to, to observe and see what's going on or using different tools or upgrades that might let you gain temporary vision into the area. Um, you know, and StarCraft does that in a clever way of the order system, right? Like in, in, in there, not by hiding units, but it, it does fog of war and that you don't know the actions your opponent's doing okay i still my so favorite it threads mechanism. sort of yeah it it threads actions in alternating sequences through stacks I we don't want to talk about too much most people well at least those who have listened to us probably know what it does but it does a really cool thing with like stacks of face down action tokens that you trigger the top one and go to the next one and it's just really super clever and it doesn't feel exactly like starcraft but it feels you know starcraft ish in terms of a clever way to do actions simultaneously this one does not care about fog of war. Company of Heroes does not at all, um, and that was a conscious design decision. I think they worked on trying to implement it in some way, and then uh, abandoned it because it was too clunky. So what this does is it's much more focused on the micro actions, and and if you're like a deep real time strategy player, which I'm not really, but you know I kind of get deep into anything I, I'm into a little bit. Um, so like real time strategy games in general function on sort of two little on an axis, axis between Micro and macro. Macro would be like the strategic decisions of what am I going to tech up to? What buildings am I going to build? And you need that sort of strategic, more traditional board game mindset to a real-time strategy game. But then there's also a whole other skill level that can separate professionals um, from each other. Like some are better at micro versus macro. Uh, I got really into watching StarCraft in Korea like years ago and, uh, you know, whatever. But um, micro is like, you know, like your micro actions of of selecting a unit and then making them move around cover you know, or like hit and run. It, it's those little fine movements that maybe many people that that play real-time strategy games casually aren't very good at.
0: Um, it's the, the, almost like the Twitch skill, yes. like a first-person shooter at that point.
1: Yeah, and like actions per second, APS is like a, is like a big mm-hmm. deal and all that stuff. So Company of Heroes focuses on that um, in terms of evoking the feel of real-time strategy games. It's, it's not a real-time game, unlike Mech Command. Now there's a real-time mode that's optional in the rulebook, but it's not nearly as as good or um, I wouldn't even recommend you use it. Like it's more of, I don't say it feels like an afterthought, but it's not integral to the game. Unlike Mech Command, where I think it, that had a turn base, but the turn base was more optional and you wanted to play real time. This is the opposite. And the, the reason of that is in Mech Command, you fired in real time. You, you targeted with the laser. Here, it's like the real time is you have nine action points on your turn and you're going to like pick up a unit and move them a space. You're going to have multiple units, a, a lot. You won't be able to activate all of them because um, you're limited in actions. Um, but if you did real-time, you're not shooting in that real-time phase. You move everyone around, and then after everyone everyone's done sh- moving, then you shoot, and you kind of check line of sight. So there's a huge incentive to like just sandbag your actions, go in the last second. It didn't work in Mech Command because you needed to get to cover, maybe dart in between, and, and things like that. It doesn't work here, so I wouldn't play real-time. But how it evokes the, the micro-element of real-time strategy games is I take three actions, and then you do. And you use action cubes on the units and you're moving them around and it's not that it's like the real time aspect of it but it's like the by breaking our actions apart like that into sort of phases like I do three actions you do three and have each done nine it feels like they're somewhat simultaneous but you have to really like sort of send a unit and then like focus on a different unit, right? Because you can only move each one three maximum spaces. Like you'll kind of run out of actions in the in a phase mm-hmm. for a unit. You can't just like move the same entry unit nine times. You can only move them three, and then you're done. You you mark them with keeps on the board. So I get the feeling of sort of alternating between units, and it's taking up my focus in the game, sort of like an RTS real time game. And I really I really dig that the fifteen mm scale. And the, the beautiful production really sells it as well as sort of that, like, kind of 3D environment that a real-time strategy game evokes. And the scale is is like, you know, maybe this sounds stupid, but it it to me, it feels the same scale as it is when you're playing a video game, right? A real-time strategy game. Like, you know, the units, like, look okay. the right size. And I can hear people laughing at me, but it's like, it's an immersive feeling that, that sort of works. Okay?
0: No, that makes sense because it's not, not necessarily about the size, but if you... So I'm thinking about StarCraft. I've never played Company of Heroes, but in StarCraft, it's not uncommon to have, you know, a bunch of tanks, and you you can have, you know, yes. four or five yes. tanks, um, or you know, three tanks over here, three tanks over there. You can't you can't have that many tanks on a 32 millimeter like Warhammer type game. There's just not enough physical space unless you're playing like apocalypse or something like that um so scaling it down lets you fill the table with bigger things and even though they're physically smaller you see more tanks on the table it does give you that that scale that you're talking about that's Yeah. yeah that's a big part of all the different war games that are at different scales
1: for sure and the scale combined with limited actions through action points synthesizes for me to make it feel rts like warhammer doesn't feel rts to me it partially yeah, because you're you're moving all your units no matter what, so your attention's not divided. It's it's just a different type of game. Whereas this, I don't know, I think it's pretty clever how it, it parcels the actions to feel more like a real time strategy game. And then it's got it's got the the macro element that's just a less focus in my opinion. You have different like commanders you can select for your faction. So there's like I don't know like six different Russian commanders, and they all have different unique tech upgrades, which is very much like the video game. Um, which is neat. So there is like a strategic decision. There's a lot of counterplay in this, which mimics the video game. And most RTS games where certain units will counter certain ones, you know, like if if your opponent's building this, you want to build this. That's a big part of scouting and and knowing what they're building. But I think that's more pronounced even in Company of Heroes than maybe in StarCraft, partially because I think in Company of Heroes, there's an element of realism. It's not, it's not a realistic game, but like you can't hurt, tanks with infantry so like you you know if your opponent's building tanks you got to build anti-tank weapons and things like that for the hard counter yeah. so it doesn't feel as like baldly rock paper scissors as as maybe it really is under the covers because it feels more realistic but i don't know i really i really dig that so i don't know, i like this game a lot it feels like i'm commanding an army but it feels like an rts game um in complexity it, it's 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 r- much simpler i think than someone who came across the box or the setup game would think. Because it's this huge square box that's very big. It, it may be the heaviest game I own. It's not the biggest in footprint in the box size, but it's, I don't know, the box is ridiculously heavy. Like, I definitely <laughs> like to use two hands. It, it's noticeably, I'm worried it's going to like break the bottom of the box. Because um, the boards are super thick and there's multiple ones. But, like, it's a, it's a step up from Memoir 44, I would say. Like, a solid step up, But but it's, like, not more complicated... It's not as complex as, say, um, Conflict of Heroes. It's close, but it's it's not quite there. Or Combat Commander, it's not that complex. It's simpler than that. Okay. Um, which is kind of crazy that you, you buy this game, which I think it's going to be $122 MSRP now. It was 99 in the Kickstarter, but they, they under-costed it and ended up costing a lot more. Um, you know, like, usually big, expensive games are usually complex, at least to some degree. Like, Cthulhu Wars isn't like that, but most most games, I think, tend to be, or at least have a, a lot of rules. Um, sure. but this is like a game that if you play it a few times you can get it down to maybe some games would be 60 minutes 1v1 most would be like 90 2v2 you're gonna be like 90 to, to maybe over two hours your first game but more like two hours you know almost always and it's very easy to teach um which is surprising now that's that's maybe a um a downside for some people that you don't want to spend that much money and have a game that's you know, not going to be like a lifestyle game in terms of strategic depth. I think this is a game with depth. I think you you will have material that you'll learn. You'll switch factions. It's not like you can master a faction really easily. There's definitely depth there, but you know, it's again, it's like a step up from memoir. Um, so some people might not so, like that spending that much money and then having a game that's not you know super complex in terms of strategy.
0: But, so so quick question, sure. and this is this is probably more like what would have been a discussion topic in the old format. But do you do you like that generally, where you, let's say maybe you pay $100, $150 for this for a big box. And this is a, this is a big thing on Kickstarter, where you get all this stuff, right? And then you, you unpackage it, and you play it, and it's like a 30, 45-minute game. I'm not saying this is like a short game, but just like, it's not, it's not this, you know.
1: Yeah, like Cthulhu Death May Die is an example of that. That's like a game yeah. it it's a little bit more than an hour. Um, I mean, so, so here's the thing. For me, I think it's a more of a benefit than a bad thing. Um, Because the problem with a lot of Kickstarter games is that they're very hard to get to the table, right? Like, once you have all the stuff, it's like expansion bloat. It's hard to say, let's get this off and play this right now because, you know, we got to read three different rule books if we're playing with these expansions and modules, and and the base game could be complex, too, if it's like a two to two and a half hour strategy game. So then you got all these, like, boxes with minis and things, and you're just kind of like, you know, screw it. Now, Cthulhu Wars... It's so simple that they didn't have that problem. It's still, I don't know, physically a bit of a pain to get everything out. yeah, oh, yeah. So this is a game that, if I can get my group to play it a lot, I could see tabling a lot, right? Like because okay. the rule book, I don't think I'd need to reread the rule book even a year later. Now, I'd probably okay. look at a couple things. I won't remember everything, but it's not the same as like having to break out a rule book and reread the whole thing. Um, the only the only downside to this game in terms of like bloat. Is that there is a optional, so it's optional, but there's optional expansions that add 3D elements. And the first one adds 3D buildings, so the buildings are printed on the maps, um, which is cool. But the 3D buildings look really, really awesome. They're like two-story, like kind of country European houses, and you just put the plastic building over the, the 2D building to add, you know, visual depth, which matters to some degree, maybe not a lot, but you, because units can go inside buildings and cover. The back of the building has, like, this slot that slides up, almost like a trap door, and you can put a unit, like, infantry inside it and then conceal cool. them. And, like, it's an optional rule, but you can have casualties removed, like, um, you know, like a fog of war element. So if I if I shoot the building and Raph's guys are in there, this game's deterministic, actually, in terms of damage, which is very weird, um, but adds some depth to the game. I, I like it. I don't usually like terms of combat. But there's sometimes where you roll saving throws if it's, like, Anti-vehicle damage against infantry, which is, you know, not designed to kill infantry. You get, like, a saving throw, kind of. So if Raph would make a saving throw against that, I won't know if I killed him if he's in the building if we're using the optional rules. So they do add, like, utility there. And then that expansion also adds 3D flags to show capture points of who owns them, which, to me, that actually is a gameplay change because it's easier to see who controls what. And then there's, like, sandbags you can build, all kinds of cool things in those 3D tokens in there. The second expansion of, of like, this adds a huge maybe the most visually cool board game piece I've ever seen, Cathedral. It would fit in oh, in nice. like a war game table. Like you could play Flames of War with this Cathedral. It's that good. Um, so it's like, I, I almost want to say, take those expansions out because it, it adds to setup time of a game that actually doesn't take long to set up because you hand someone the tray. They only build two infantry units to start the game. The rest you build as you go, like a, like a real-time strategy game. Um, and there's no, like, you don't put victory points down. Like you don't put hexes to change the terrain. It's all printed on the map. So it's save like they they really do a good job of saving time for setup for a big game, so I like that aspect of it. It's quicker to play, it's easy to teach. I think that's a big boon for playability in this you know modern day of so many games. I really yeah, like this sure. game a lot. Um, not as not as I don't want to oversell that. I don't like it as much as Sleeping Gods, which I talked about. I know I've, I've hit like three awesome games in a row, <laughs> and maybe that's gonna happen somewhat often because of our format of talking about less games. So I'm gonna pick ones that I really want to talk about, but we'll see. Um, maybe I like it as much as Forbidden Water. I don't know. Forbidden Forgotten Waters was my game last year. I think maybe I still can't type in Cosmic Frog. Um, <laughs> but last year overall was a little. We're playing weaker. that soon, finally. Yeah, like this would be in my top three of last year. Maybe it'll be my right now. It's in my it's in my number five because this year was so good already. Um, but we'll see. Maybe I'll like it more as I go. I really like this game a lot, is what I'm trying to get at. I think it captures its its goal objective really well, being a real time strategy feeling game. The weight of the rules, I think, is perfect for what it is. Like really perfect for what it is. I would not want it to be more complex for this type of game and, and you don't and you know with the the figures and all the stuff. Um so yeah, so I don't know. If it sounds cool to you, I'm not gonna say go out and buy it because it's super expensive, but maybe try to find someone that has it. I don't know, maybe if you really want to you buy it, but it's it's hard to find right now because it was a Kickstarter. I think it's one of those games that's too expensive to go to retail. They're gonna do a 1.5 Kickstarter. I don't know when, not not too long. It's this year, so maybe this summer, maybe in a month or two. Let's keep an eye out for it um, and try Try to find someone that has it if it sounds cool, because it's, it's quite a unique game. That's Company of Heroes from yeah, it sounds worth it. Bad Crow Games. I, yeah, I think you'd like it, Raph. We need to play this maybe at a convention in some
0: year. You know, 2024 yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I, I'm going to talk about a game. Uh, I think it came out last year, um, and it's Fort. Fort, uh I mentioned it on the podcast. I think it was in a like what are you excited about segment. Um it's called Fort. It's published by Later Games. The designer is uh Grant Rodiak, uh, and the art is Kyle Farron, who uh is now in it like at the time was not in house with Later Games, but now is. He's mm-hmm. did the art for Root and and for Oath, which uh, I'm staring at my copy uh <laughs> looking forward yep. to playing. Uh, so so Fort is a deck builder game. It is Grant's design that he originally published as SPQF uh, and it was signed by Later Games and they re they rethemed it. They reset it. And so now the fort that it's referring to is like a playground fort. Kind of like a tree fort, sort of. Uh, because you are playing kids building competing forts, basically, in a playground. And it, it's got this sort of like lost boys vibe where you know there's no parents and so you're you're out in the woods back in the you know like the what doesn't happen in america anymore but the <laughs> old you know you'd run out into the woods yeah. and you build your own tree house with your friends and you'd have adventures and, and it's got that sort of vibe to it um and it, it's it's really neat so i told charlie before we started i was going to say something that's hyperbolic uh and then qualify it and i know charlie's played this game so you can tell me if you agree or not but this is, a, this is a deck builder and the core is, you know, Dominion style deck building, draw five cards, play some, um, you know, n- nothing in your hand carries over to the next round, draw five, shuffle, kind of add cards, lose cards. That core is still very much deck building. This to me, the so the hyperbolic statement is that this feels to me like the first evolution of deck building, like a real evolution of it versus like an iteration or an iteration with a gimmick. Um, The caveat there is it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the the game of the year, game of all time, blow you away, best game you've ever played necessarily. But from a, from a mechanical design perspective, to me, this feels like it has, like it, it is evolving that, that, that deck building genre. I just want to know what you think about that. I mean, then I'll explain it. I don't,
1: I don't agree, I guess. Is okay. my is my initial gut reaction?
0: Okay, so so where I'm where I'm going with that is that there have been a lot of games that tweak deck building a little bit. Um, Aeon Aeon's End uh, has this thing where, where where you can sit your cards where they'll they'll sit out of the cycle a little bit while they while you pay them off to cast spells, and then your your deck isn't shuffled; it's flipped in order, so you have a little bit of ability to manage the the order that cards come out. Um, trains there's a few other games where you you play or like uh, uh what 's the one from osprey um the, the world war II game yeah that came out last undaunted. year undaunted undaunted yeah, so undaunted is that that 's another one that I think is a, a really good evolution um, where you're you're playing cards to 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 drive a board, not necessarily the deck itself so there there have been games that have changed it but in in fort every every single element feels changed just enough that it almost doesn't really feel like a deck builder anymore um not from a mechanism perspective from but just a the, the feeling of the game I don't get the feeling of a classic deck builder where I'm just kind of like churning and iterating an efficient deck I, I feel like I am doing things not necessarily shuffle drawing playing which all of the other ones I've talked about do have a very like mechanical feel to the game whereas to me fort i'd I, like that that is faded so far to the background compared to all of the little changes the way all the little changes layer on top of it that that's kind of where mm-hmm. i'm coming from from it
1: yeah that's interesting but to me it, it feels like a just a combination of glory to rome with standard deck like dominion and then it's big twist of of stealing cards i guess is the is the big thing to me that's different um, have you have you played a game ref where you follow like that before? Because that's that's been done. Glory to Rome was, was that the first? I don't know if Glory to Rome was, but there's a few games that do the that you play in an action and other people can follow or not.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I have played. I have, I've played those. Because um, that and,
1: to me is like the big change in structure from a deck builder, but it's not new. It's more of like it's combining two things. I guess that's that's how I feel.
0: Right. Like yeah. And that's kind of where it's, but it's it's got that, and it's also got stealing cards, and mm-hmm. it's also got the the various ways to remove cards from your hand like the lookout thing and and then also trash like it's just to me it's got all these little things that together they feel new so anyway with that out of the way whether whether you agree with that (laughs) part of it that's kind of where I'm coming from I really like it Um, I want to play it more I kind of want to dig into the strategy of it more I've played it a few times now but I want to dig into the strategy but as an overview for the for for the listeners um, like I said you're you're playing these these kids out in in the park basically. Um, And so each card is a kid and and they've got their nickname, right? Like bug is one of them or or ghost is another one. Uh, And each card is uh, belongs to one of six suits. And the suits are like squirt gun skateboard. It's, you know, the, the the setting is kind of fully, fully vetted through there. Um, And so you draw your five cards, you play a card and most cards have two actions. There is, uh, a private action that only you do and then a public action which I suppose what charlie was saying a minute ago all of the other players can follow so if the other players can play a card that matches the suit of the card that you just played then they can take that top action uh, they typically can only take that top action you know one time whereas the person who's playing the card can basically so like if i play a skateboard card uh, many of the actions would allow me to play multiple skateboard cards and kind of multiply the effect of the action. Whereas if you're following, you can only play one skateboard card, and you know nine times out of ten, you're only going to get a single action. There is a way for you to multiply it, but that's not super important. The point there is, you play your card. Uh, maybe you maybe you stack some extra suits on it to to super power, to supercharge it, um, and then you you as the player get two actions. Everyone else has the potential for one action. Uh, then when you're done. You discard every card that you played and then like in most deck builders, you've got to get rid of what's in your hand. But instead, the the kids you didn't play with, basically, the kids who are still in your hand who you did not hang out with that day, they get a little bit mad and they, they go face up in front of your player board um, and potentially another player can take that card out of your deck. So if you don't use it, there's a chance you lose it. Um, I I think that ties really well into the theme and it's very cute in the sense that like you didn't play with your buddy and now he's mad at you and he goes to play with with somebody else. Um, So I like that. From there, the things you're doing is you're generating resources. There's two resources, pizza and toys. Um, You're using those resources typically to um, improve the level of your fort. Uh, your fort can go up to level five. Once someone reaches level five, they've built the most impressive fort uh, and you get some bonus points for being the first person to hit level five. Uh, you get some points along the way for uh, for the level of your fort at the end of the game. The, the bit better your fort, the more points you get, but you can also be using your card play to generate um, victory points like as you go. Uh, the game end can trigger when someone gets to five victory points or when someone reaches 25, sorry, when someone gets to a level five fort or when someone gets 25 victory points, it triggers the end of the game. And then at the end, you add up all your points. Um, There's some hidden uh, objectives. As you improve the level of your fort, you also, like the first time you improve it, you can go get uh, some like, end game scoring bonus that's secret that only you get. Uh, and then if you improve it again, you get access to a special power. Um, so there's, there's a few of those things going on. Uh, there's various ways to take cards out of your deck. You can trash cards. You can also um, bury them in what's called the lookout. And that lets you basically take a card, stash it, and you can you always have access to its suit on your turn. So if I bury a skateboard card, then every time I play a skateboard card, Um, If I need to use extra suits as a multiplier, I can use the one that's in my lookout. And so what all this pulls together is, to me, it just creates this very dynamic and reactive deck building game. Like, I I need to watch what my opponent's doing. Because if my opponent is focusing on, you know, walkie-talkies and squirt guns, then... If I want to be able to follow off of what he's playing, I need to make sure I've got a couple of those decks. But if my a couple of those, but if my strategy isn't focused on those cards, then I'm I'm watering myself down a little bit. So you've got to kind of got to consider that. And that's where maybe maybe you bury the cards that are integral to your strategy in the lookout, so that mm-hmm. you've always got access to them, and then you save the cards that are in your hand to use on on other players' turns. Um, you can do things like the last time I played, I ended up burying the my card that let me improve my fort because everybody's got at least one of those i buried it and i was just kind of gambling that i could piggyback off of the other players when i needed to um you know you can do things like if someone takes a turn off from their like powerful strategy you can go steal the card that they didn't play by pulling it out of the yard it just to me it feels very interactive and dynamic which i don't often get out of um a lot of deck builders
1: oh that's agreed, hundred 100 i think it's that's what's great about it um and I think that's that's like the Glory to Rome element. So like the the um, lookout, which is like where you fan cards out from the left side of your player board, is is mm-hmm. basically the vault in Glory to Rome. You know, it's got the like the the plain follow like Glory to Rome. Um, and I think that's great. I love Glory to Rome. I think that works really well here. It feels like a cohesive design despite these different elements. I think I think mm-hmm. it's a good game for sure. I like Grant's games a lot. I have a lot of respect from his designer because he only me too. Pursues games that he feels are doing something different. Like he would yeah. never publish a game that is a minor rehash of something, and I have a lot of respect for that. I think I wish more people did that. Um, and I like this game. I, I don't love this game. Um, I'm I'm maybe not the biggest deck builder fan. I do like some Dominion is still my favorite, um, which maybe most people wouldn't say that, but I've played a lot of. Yeah, them. I would. Yeah,
0: I, I don't ever need to play Dominion. I'm happy yeah. to, but I don't ever need to.
1: But so what? What bothers me. A little bit, and I'm I'm to be clear. I'm being devil's advocate. I would I would rate this game pretty well. Um, I don't love it, but I would rate it pretty high. So I'm kind of being a little bit devil's advocate here. But what undermines it for me a little bit is that, as Ref said, there's all these um, considerations you have to make, which is which is a good thing. Like you don't want players to steal your cards, and and so you might not want to have only the cards you want in your deck because they will get your your engine will get messed with. Um, you might not want to play, you know, the fort increase card when other people can benefit from it. So, you you know, I, I worked hard to time it that I would increase my yeah. fort and the people didn't have resources to up- increase theirs, which is, that's neat. That's cool. Um, you know, it's step to strategy. Um, but the the stealing the cards and a lot of the, like the, the limitations, to me, what they do is they undermine your core deck strategy and purposely, right? Like that's kind of the twist yeah. in the mm-hmm. game. They don't want you, to, It does. the game doesn't want you to build Uh, you know, a perfect engine of cards. It wants you to try to while you're dealing with all these landmines and people stealing your cards and stuff. And that's cool. And the neat idea and what the game's built around, but it could, it left me at times feeling unfulfilled because if your engine's broken up and it feels fair, it doesn't feel, I didn't feel like terrible that my engine was broken up, but like what you're left in the wake of that is sort of a deck that's, that doesn't feel. mm,
0: It clunks a bit. Yeah.
1: It's not yeah. great. It's like a 3 old shopping cart to a degree, and you're trying to make the best <laughs> of it, um, which I think is very purposeful. Like, so the game does what it's trying yeah. to do. I just with deck building, I I want to. It's like an engine building game, right? Like, messing with engines is okay to some degree, but it, but for me, it, it can get to a point to where if if my engine's torn apart. Then there's not really a there's no great feeling in the game right like I guess the interaction sure. is cool as ref said but like there's no like moments of, of or there's there's scattered moments I guess of feeling really good about your engine instead of like a constant like ooh I hit my peak and you know I get a couple turns and the game ends this one's sort of different than that which is good because it's yeah. its own game but it just didn't feel like exceptional to me in terms of the feel yeah, which
0: for me I, I end up not liking I, I like engine builders um but I don't like like these these like pure deck building games or um, Imperial Settlers in 51st State. The, I have not played them very often because I, I have not enjoyed them when I have. But part of it is because when you don't have that interaction you don't have that disruption, mm-hmm. it ends up to me feeling very just like heads down. Sure, And yeah. it's like so, someone else's turn and they're just, they're shuffling components and saying things and then the turn ends and it moves on to you, right? Yeah, and
1: no, you're that for just sure a, right, yeah. That,
0: that accelerates, you know, turn after turn after turn, that, that only gets more extreme. Whereas this, like you said, there's all these little things to worry about and, and considerations and kind of interruptions that, that I liked. Um, and then it opens the door. So instead of feeling great when I pull off a power turn, it's happened in every time I've, I've played four, I've looked down and I've been like, okay, I need I need to be able to do this again next turn. Or like, I, like I need to do this specific thing next turn. And I look at my discard pile and I look at my hand and I'm able to, choose the cards I play on my turn. Not because I, not necessarily because I want, that's the best thing for me on that turn. But if I do it that way, then I'll be able to like have a five card discard pile with Mm -hmm. what's left out in the yard. And like, it gives you, it's never, I don't think it's rarely going to be a primary, a primary consideration, but you do get opportunities to deliberately manipulate your discard pile to try to maximize like your next draw. Like when you know you have a shuffle coming, you can it's just like another little opportunity to do something clever and and th- those opportunities there's enough of them kind of scattered around in different ways that I feel very satisfied like in in small bites throughout kind of throughout the game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it definitely does add interaction to a genre that doesn't have interaction, which is yeah. which is good. Totally an accomplishment. Um Yeah, I just I kind of felt like like, it, it never – I love when, like – so, like, engine-building games are, like, um, you know, games where it's about efficiency and building something. Mm-hmm. I love when they kind of go off the rails. Like, like you hit that peak yeah. and things start exploding and and it's almost like the game's, you know, breaks out of its normal mold. And this really doesn't allow you to do that because you get beaten is, down. Yeah, no. Like, I – yeah, like, so I love – like in Race for the Galaxy, when you when you have like your your engine set up and you're scoring like 50 points a turn, not 50, but you're scoring a ton of points a turn, and you're like, this is ridiculous. And then the the game ends or whatever. And so I just right. never felt that in this game, and that that's something that's important to me. Like so, I would rather play personally Glory to Rome over this game, which isn't the same thing, but like the the core leader and follow and some of the other things. But that goes off the rails because the cards you you get can be so crazy and break the game or like auto win and and whatnot. And um, so yeah, so I I I agree that Ford is a is a good game. I think it does what it's trying to do very well.
0: Mm-hmm. I just
1: don't love it personally, and I, and I I don't agree that it's evolutionary. I mean, I, I think what it did is is good in a twist, but I don't personally I don't see any any bigger twist than the other deck deck builders have done or or ones that have combined it with yeah. area control and things like that for me. But that's just, yeah, you know. yeah, Th-
0: that's fair to me. That, that's just like the feeling I've gotten afterwards playing is that like. I almost don't feel like I played a deck builder at that point. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, but there's not a giant board to have said like, well, of course I didn't feel like I played a deck builder. There was, you know, <laughs> there's a world war II battle going on, right? Like yeah. this one is like, but I did play a deck builder, but I didn't feel like, so anyway, I, I, I really like this one. I'm keeping it for sure. Uh, I have mostly maintained my, uh, uh limited space. So like last year, I think I mentioned on the podcast either last year or the year before I, I, I got a new set of shelves for the basement, and I like blocked off certain ones are going to be for board games, and then I was like, okay, that's it. If I I'm only using up this much space in the house now, uh, and I've mostly been able to hold to that. Uh, so Fort's one that I'm that I'm keeping. Um, I've had to make some tough choices since I did that, but this one this one I'm going to make the room for. So. Yeah. So yeah that's that's fort uh published by later games uh designed by grant Rodiak. it's i think it's available now i think it's pretty readily available now so if you are interested in checking it out it should be fairly easy to find so that's gonna do it for this episode thank you so much to everybody for for joining us and continuing to tune in also thank you for um jumping on the bgg guild and getting that back up and going as we have gotten back up and going Uh, We do always love hearing your thoughts there and and on social media. Uh, We want to thank our sponsor, Miniature Market, um, as always. And we want to thank uh, our listeners, as always. Uh, If you want to find us, you can find us um, on Facebook, facebook.com slash dinganddent. Uh, Our Board Game Geek Guild is number 2576. That's probably the best place to have extended conversation. Uh, And then Twitter, we are at dinganddent. And my Twitter is at CaptainRaffi, R-A-F-F-I.
1: And I'm at Charlie Thiel on Twitter. Remember, you can subscribe to us. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and more. And there's an RSS link at our website, www.dinganddentcast.com. You can shoot us an email or comment there, and we'd love to hear what you think.
0: If you're using iTunes um, or, or Stitcher, a uh, review is is great. It would be um, super appreciated, as always. Uh, uh, so thank you again, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. See you.